We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. It's all about building relationships and building teamwork and finding out how best to work together, like when to give way, when to make your stand and make your point and when to kind of lay back and let someone else take the lead. It's a real art form. It's a real balance. Not easy to do. And we're in a very interesting time period because all those things you mentioned were always garnered in an office environment. And now we have the debate, a lot of it being propagated by the situation with COVID, where more and more people were working from home. So the big question now is whether or not these highly cooperative or highly collaborative situations can be maintained. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 202, PH Factor, The Joy of We, Celebrating Collaboration. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Good morning, Harry. Good morning, Peter. How are you doing today? Great. TSP202, are we collaborating or what? We are indeed the joy of we. We're going to celebrate collaboration today. And I'm going to share two quotes that I dug up. One of them was by the inimitable Charles Darwin, whom we all know. And he said, it is the long history of humankind and animal kind too, that those who learned to collaborate and improvise most effectively have prevailed. So he's a giant in the business. And that's a quote that makes a lot of sense to me. And the other one is by another giant in the business, Sir Isaac Newton, who said in 1675, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. So what are these quotes saying? Essentially, we have to collaborate and improvise to survive, to move forward, to create. And we do that by supporting each other and by learning from the wise elders who have gone before and paved the way. So in a sense, there is nothing that one can do in this world, it seems to me, that isn't a kind of collaboration either with other people now or with those who have paved the way in the past in whatever field you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So the best way really to define collaboration would be to outline it as a process of two or more people working together to achieve a common goal. Yeah, I think so. And we often hear about collaborations among duos because it seems to be easier for two people to work together to create something than to try to coordinate three or five or a hundred people. So we have many famous sort of partnerships, duos, not the least of whom the Wright brothers, for example, 1903 developed the three-axis control system that made flying fixed-wing aircraft a possibility. And that technology evolved very quickly, didn't it? I mean, by the 1930s, 40s, you had passenger airplanes, you had fighter airplanes, and on and on to the modern age of aircraft. And the other quite famous one on a scientific or technological level was James Watson and Francis Crick mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with the DNA in 1953. Yeah, and their work built upon the work of the chemist Dr. Rosalind Franklin. So again, standing on the shoulders of giants, no developments, no creative energy is really alone in a silo. There's always a relationship to what's gone before or what's going on currently. Mm -hmm. So 
people like John Lennon and Paul McCartney, the great Beatles, working together to create hundreds and hundreds of incredible songs and great, great music. And they are definitely a special pair. This partnership of these two musicians, Beatle members, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, it's probably the best known and definitely the most successful music collaboration ever if you measure it by records sold. The Beatles have sold over a billion records worldwide as of 2023. Mm -hmm. So what do you think the magic was there? How did they work together to create these tunes so well? Well, they did something unique, first of all. Most musical pairings that we know of, famous people like George and Ira Gershwin, Elton John and Bernie Taupin, mm -hmm. there's usually a lyricist and a music writer. But in this case, Paul and John did both, and they switched those roles ongoing with various songs. So they were unique in that regard. Mm -hmm. And so that gave them a bit of a difference from many known collaborative music pairs. In fact, in uh, 1963 in London, the Sunday Times called Lennon and McCartney the greatest composers since Ludwig von Beethoven. Wow. Something else which was very significant, not just Lennon McCartney, they're the most known pair, but many other British invasion songwriters at the time, they really changed the music industry because up to that point, most musicians had other people writing their music for them. Mm. And this changed an entire trend among professional songwriters that dominated the American music industry up to the point of the British invasion. So getting back to John and Paul, collaborating extensively when writing songs, working, quote, eyeball to eyeball, as Lennon phrased it. So they really worked in close proximity to each other. And Lennon and McCartney's collaborative efforts, even though they decreased in later years, they continued to influence one another. Interesting about Lennon and McCartney, their characters and the music they created solo were quite different in a way. McCartney's music was a little bit softer, a little bit easier listening in some ways, a little rounder edged or softer to my ears. And Lennon was a lot more politically active and sharper in his insights and in his lyrics. And so it's fascinating to me that they actually managed to somehow interrelate their two characters to create music that lasts through time. Well, remember, too, that pretty much reflected their backgrounds, their family backgrounds and their family history. Paul came from a more stable background with both parents. He had a very musically inclined family, especially his father was a musician. Right. So McCartney's music tends to reflect softer, a more melodic, more ballad-like. However, that wasn't always the case. And they often, as I said, not only switched roles in being lyricists and musicians, they also sometimes crossed over that line in the tempo and moods of various songs because they both could go either way. They were just known for their respective tendencies, but both of them influenced one another in that way as well. In fact, in 1969, when the Beatles were at their end, Lennon said, quote, we write how we write now because of each other. Paul was there for five or 10 years, and I wouldn't write like I write now if it weren't for Paul, and he wouldn't write like he does if it weren't for me. That pretty much sums it up. Sure. We just... A very informal approach. We've got no formula at all, you know, for writing yeah. songs. We just 
do it as it happens. Sometimes John can write a line of a song. He can come up and say... Things like that. He could say that. He could just say that. He could just say that to me, and I could say, "No, John." And uh, often I disagree with Paul and say, "Which has been done so many times, it killed it." But then sometimes, you know, we have a real row, and I say, <laughs> "Listen here, John." I don't think that's right. But uh, it depends, you know, sometimes there's a line that he does and then I do a line. Or sometimes John can write a whole song. Ah, yes, oh, he's a, he's a wonder when he gets going. And staying with the arts and collaborative duos, all those great duos through comedy history like Laurel and Hardy, for example. Oh, yeah. Who were in the 20s, 30s, 1940s. Again, Abbott and Costello. Martin and Lewis. Yeah, in each of those three examples... They're two different, very different characters. One's a bit more serious, set-up guy, and the other's the more silly, idiotic, comedic character, in a way. St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I want you to tell me the names of the fellas on the St. Louis I'm, team. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You know the fellas' well, names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean, the fellas name on first base. Who? The fella playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you who is on first. I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. Who is on first? Have you got a first baseman on first? Certainly. Then who's playing first? Absolutely. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. Why not? The man's entitled to it. Who is? Yes. So who gets it? Why shouldn't he? Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. After all, the man earns it. Who does? Absolutely. Well, all I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? Oh, no, no. What is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? That's what I'm trying to find out. Well, don't change the players. I'm not changing nobody. Take it easy. What's the guy's name on first base? What's the guy's name on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking about him. So that difference in character actually can spark just the right amount of conflict to create drama or comedy. Mm-hmm. And also inherent in what you just described, there really has to be a lot of trust between the two individuals in terms of timing, not being unpleasantly surprised, if you will. Yeah. Uh, there has to be a real comprehension of one another and a real understanding of one another. And trust is a big, big part of collaboration under any umbrella. Sure. Think about sports. Same idea. But sports, you have team events like hockey or football or baseball where you have teammates working together and sometimes you get magic. You get Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl for the Edmonton Oilers working together to really help their team. Basketball, the same thing. LeBron James and Dwayne Wade were two incredible teammates working together to build their team in Miami, I think it was at the time. So yeah, all of these duos, Carol King and Jerry Goffin. People don't know about mm -hmm. Jerry Goffin. Jerry Goffin was the husband of Carole King, and he wrote some incredible songs for Aretha Franklin, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, The Drifters Up on the Roof. He wrote the lyrics for those songs. Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned it was her husband, which goes into a whole other area. Couples, relationships, marriages, talk about collaborative effort. I think about Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, in a sense, and the, the force that they were in the world of Hollywood and on the stage. 
So all of that goes into play when you're talking about duos, people working as duos. But human beings have worked beyond duos, of course, to create great works of art. Think about architecture. We talked about uh, Michelangelo was one of the many project managers on St. Peter's Basilica. And think about how many of those medieval buildings took hundreds of years in some cases to actually build. So you imagine the collaboration that had to happen over the generations, even among thousands and thousands of people to put up those buildings. And all these things that you described, there are certain qualities associated with all these things and that they're highly coordinated. There's a lot of communication involved. Everybody has to be responsible, accountable for the particular role that they're playing. The level of cooperation has to be at a very high level to ensure all this continuity and working towards a common goal. So there are things that are common no matter what area you're talking about. And in the modern era, we also have created other levels of cooperation, which are now based on the digital world that we're living in. For example, network collaboration and Mm -hmm. cloud collaboration, Mm. which are all part of team and community collaboration. So this transcends all facets of our lives and time zones. Yeah, and you can look no farther than Mother Nature to see how collaboration works in the best possible way. You could look at beehives, for example, or ant colonies, and just how there is this collaborative effort amongst different types of contributors to their societies. You have the drones and the queen bees and the worker bees and the beehives doing their specialized thing, whether it's looking for food sources or feeding the queen or making love to the queen, what have you. But there's this specialization that goes on at the same time as coordinated efforts. So ant colonies can create huge nests as a result of that. They can form rafts and bridges and sow leaves together. They actually farm other insects for food. That's how coordinated they are in terms of their collaboration in order to survive and carry on. So Mother Nature itself is the best example of collaboration. When people work together or when groups work together, it coincides with the increase in innovations. Well, I think that's why some groups actually come together. It is to innovate or to find solutions to problems that are at hand. It's not surprising that many, many corporate companies will take their employees out on what they call team building adventures, whether it's skydiving or mountain climbing, these kinds of activities that force their employees to work together in a different way, in a different context. But it's all about building relationships and building teamwork and finding out how best to work together, like when to give way when to make your stand and make your point and when to kind of lay back and let someone else take the lead. It's a real art form. It's a real balance. Not easy to do. And we're in a very interesting time period because all those things you mentioned were always garnered in an office environment. And now we have the debate, a lot of it being propagated by the situation with COVID where more and more people were working from home. So the big question now is whether or not these highly cooperative or highly collaborative situations can be maintained as people are less inclined to go back 
to the office environment. Yeah, well, during COVID, people used Zoom liberally to meet. And many, many organizations and government agencies met via Zoom or Teams. So it didn't stop the ideas, but it did stop people from getting together and actually kind of feeling that palpable energy in the room when there are people that are really excited about an idea. And that energy ramps up and ideas start to fly back and forth. The Zoom situation was overly controlled by necessity in a way. So it kind of limited the level of interaction and the type of interactions that could happen. But it was an attempt at any case to carry on collaborating. I just want to mention the other area to look at when collaboration works really well. If you ever get a chance, go to an improv comedy show. Remember the program on TV, Whose Line Is It Anyways? Yes, I do. It was an improv comedy program, and usually there were four regulars, and they would basically improv all the skits and ideas that were given to them by the audience or by the host. And apparently there are rules to improv if you want to learn how to do that. And here are some of the rules of improv, and it works perfectly for collaboration as well. One of the rules is say yes and. You don't want to say yes but or no, but the idea in improv is you take what's given to you, you accept it, you say yes to it, and then you develop it further. You add or enhance. You add or enhance. You don't negate. You just accept it. And you make statements rather than questions. So you're not asking, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You just take it and you make a statement which puts something out into the world. And sometimes you get a very creative element that just bursts out of people spontaneously as a result. The other rule is there are no mistakes, only opportunities. So again, you can't make a mistake. You can only create a new challenge, a new opportunity to grow and to discover something new again. And then one of the other ones is make sure you play with people who have your back. That's a really important one, that you trust the people you're working with to not stab you in the back or try to throw you under the bus if something goes wrong and that sort of thing. So there's lots of these improv comedy rules that are perfect rules for teams who get together or people who want to collaborate with each other to keep in mind. They also sound like perfect rules for community. You're describing some very, not only integral, parts, but also the health aspect of collaboration, how we benefit as individuals, as groups, as social entities in terms of our mental health. Mm -hmm. These things are all factors that play into that. And especially nowadays with technology and the stresses of technology and the isolation that we sometimes encounter, all those things that you described regarding the improv or the comedy field really fit all these other things that I'm mentioning. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel a part of something too when you collaborate. And if you don't feel a part of something in your life, one tends to fall into states of despondency and depression and all kinds of other nasty mental issues could pop up. I'm struggling here in this new environment, trying to put down roots and trying to connect with people and figure out where I can collaborate and contribute to the community. And the longer it takes me to find those connections, the more the struggle I have inwardly, to be honest with you. 
And so I know that there's a time frame involved where I really need to break through and find my roots here and connect. Otherwise, I could be giving myself some mental fits, mental issues. Well, sure. It also creates a sense of purpose, which is very, very important to all of us. We need to know that we're creating something, we're contributing to something, and there's a reason for being. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of being, we were talking the other day, I know you and I, about this collaboration idea, and you gave an example of a relative of yours who's dying and how his family organized an event for him to allow him to kind of say goodbye in a way to people, to relatives, to friends. Yes. First, I'm happy to say that the prognosis has changed a little bit since then. It's a little bit more positive. The timeline, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to be quite as imminent. However, the situation is still difficult and challenging. So really, regardless of the time element, I think what you just talked about uh, was very, very critical, what the family did and brought people together under one roof where everyone could share their experiences, where they could connect with one another and therefore give also the person in question the opportunity to see everyone and talk to everyone and experience the realization of knowing that the relationships have been nurtured over the years and that the people are essentially giving back part of what they've received collectively. So there's a sense of togetherness. There's an emotional bond. Yeah. So it gives also a person a better, I think anyway, a sense of closure or a sense of having counted not only in other people's lives, but knowing that you've contributed to other people's development and contentment and life experience. Yeah, and no one wants to die alone, so to speak. Exactly. And having people around who are kind of with you on the process, even though they can't share that last moment with you, dying can become a very collaborative effort among family, among friends, whether it's your pastor or rabbi who is there to help, or a death doula, which is a relatively recent role that people have taken on to help people organize their emotional lives and physical lives to make their death something of, a, in some respects, a celebratory, a joyful experience, as opposed to one that's filled with sadness and anxiety and grief, etc., and a lot of anxiety, sadness, and grief comes from sometimes simply just being alone, even if you don't have all those other things. The presence of other human beings sometimes softens or facilitates processes. Mm. And there's a great deal of comfort that comes from that. And I think that benefits both parties. We always talk about the people who leave the planet. We don't often talk enough about the people who are within that experience, who live through that situation and how it transforms them. Absolutely. One of the things that always amazes me is when I go to the cinema and I watch a movie, maybe, you know, a blockbuster film of some kind, and then the end comes, and then people kind of rush out of the theater. But I often sit and I'll watch the credits roll. And when you watch the credits roll on these films, it is actually an astounding experience because you start to sort of count up how many people are involved in the making of a movie these days, a blockbuster movie especially, and it's in the hundreds of people, hundreds of people 
have to come together in some form or other, and there has to be a collaboration and a coordination, or the film doesn't happen. When you say hundreds, and by the way, I'm in the same camp. I do the same thing. And you're talking about the ones that are visible and the ones they can get on the screen, using the movie example. Think of the thousands that branch out beyond that, that aren't even able to get on the screen for obvious reasons, who are all in some way involved. Even the person who comes around and cleans the rooms or brings the food, they're never going to get mentioned on the screen, but they're part of it. Yeah, and I worked in that industry for many years as a background actor, as an extra. And the extras don't get mentioned in the credits either. And there are often hundreds and hundreds of extras throughout a film, depending upon the type of movie, and they're not mentioned at all. So all of those people are involved. And the background actors are extremely important in movies. If they're good and they do their job, they're not noticed so much in the background, but they give the feeling of reality that is really critical to certain types of films. Mm -hmm. So the collaboration is really strong in filmmaking. It's a wonder that any films get made at all, because if any of those areas really break down, if your wardrobe doesn't do a good job, or your prop people don't do good work, or your locations people don't find good locations, appropriate locations, the film can break down. It's like a bridge that has one weak structural component in it can take the whole bridge down under the right circumstances. So to me, it's an incredible collaboration. Yes, and now to reverse that, we talk about the weak link. Let's talk about the strong link in that collaborative process. One or two or three individuals that come up with things, what they bring to the entire group and how they motivate others and inspire others within that collaboration. And even in terms of the way we live our lives, we live in challenging times. There are so many questions arising from the technologies that we deal with, the artificial intelligence, which is making headlines daily now. All these things require a collaborative effort in order to either monitor, control, if you will, the level of expansion, the movement of things, looking at the pros and cons of every action that we take, and also when you talk about the mental health aspect, the collaboration that nowadays would elevate us to a higher spiritual level, when we join together, we're also more connected to one another, not just in terms of support, but we're less likely to harm one another. We're less likely to do things on a negative level simply because of this tremendous support. Yeah from these collaborations. Yeah, and when you collaborate with people, you get to see their strengths and their weaknesses and their humanity. That's the key in a way is that we are able to recognize each other's humanity through these collaborative processes. And that makes us more compassionate and more aware of our fragility in a way as a species and as a planet and allows us to be more sort of determined to make things better, to make a better world through working with people rather than against people, mm -hmm. to be cooperative rather than competitive all the time. And the other element of that too is that in any sort of collaboration, whether it's a duo or a thousand people, inevitably there needs to be some sort of leadership. There's a, a hierarchy that kind of naturally forms itself where certain people take the lead because they just are more capable in that area. So there's a natural structure that can happen, too. It's not just a free-for-all collaborations. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've always loved about collaborative situations is that 
inevitably sometimes we think of ourselves in a certain way or we mock someone else because what we think is very easy may be very difficult to someone else. However, we fail to see that their particular skill or ability is something that we're not even able to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I recall my son when he was probably 11, 12, and he was always very good mathematically and spatially and, and so on, but he was not really artistic. He tended to see things a certain way, like all of us. And then one day he brought home a particular piece of art, which his friend had drawn. Now his friend was the complete opposite, but he was tremendously talented with a pencil or a pen and the things he could draw. And I remember the most important moment for me was seeing my son's face when he looked at these drawings and knowing that at that particular moment, he looked at his friend in a very different way mm, Right. for what he had seen and that perhaps the realization that he had not given him consciously or subconsciously enough credit. And so therefore, it was not about one person being better than the other was more about understanding that we all have different things to contribute and that those contributions take on different weight depending on the situation. How many times have you known people or had a friend that you weren't that particularly fond of, for example, or maybe did not get along or you did not share many attributes? It wasn't so much that you didn't like them, but you didn't have certain things in common. And then if you thought about it and you said, well, if I was in a really critical situation, like a warlike situation, this is exactly the individual that I'd want by my side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. You learn who you can trust and who you can rely on in whatever situations you're in. Absolutely. I wanted to just share one last thing too, is the collaboration I'm most proud of myself in my own life. I did it actually twice when I was Poet Laureate of Dufferin County. I organized a show in which I brought together, I think it was six poets and six artists. And what I did was created a kind of telephone game where I had a painter paint a painting. And I gave that painting to a poet who wrote a poem inspired by the painting. And I took that poem and I brought it to a dancer. And she wrote a dance or created a dance inspired by the poem. And I took that dance video and gave it to a poet and said, write a poem about this dance and on and on and on to a musician, to another artist. And I think about a dozen times and created this art show. And to me, it was an incredible experience and wonderful to see how people communicate, relate to each other across different disciplines. So to be able to collaborate like that for me was just an incredible joy. It was a joy of we situation that I did twice, actually, in my life. Yeah. And where I'd like to go now as we close this out is to talk about you and mm -hmm. I. Sure. This podcast has been a long collaboration. We're approaching six years now, and we've talked about it in another podcast, about what we both learned from it. And my own thoughts on this is that it has made this entire process so much more enjoyable and so much more of an experience of learning, of development, of examining other possibilities or considering things that I might not have considered otherwise, which are two key elements to the whole collaborative effort. Oh, sure. All of the above. There's very little negative if you find the right people 
to collaborate with. And that's the key, isn't it? Is finding the right folks or the right person, if you're a duo, where your sense of life kind of meshes well or balances each other out in different ways. And when that happens, it's inevitable that good things will come out of it, whether it's creative ideas or new systems put in place that help make life better on the planet for people. We're all potentially Wilbur and Orville. We're all potentially John and Paul if we find the right people to work with. So get out there and find your collaborative partners, folks, and make something happen. And as you said, and the note that I would like to close this on is it makes life better. Ba-boom. Drum roll, please. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.